Welcome to the Hopecast. This week we're looking at Acts chapter 7 and looking at the stoning of Stephen and talking about how certain events are catalysts in our lives. This event was a catalyst in the, the church and how God uses all of those to help us grow closer to him and to be more like Jesus. If you enjoyed this or have questions or would like to reach out, you can go to our website, hopechurchrc.org. There's a contact form there you can use to get in touch with us. You can find us on all the social media platforms, Facebook, and Instagram, and TikTok. And, uh, you can just search for Hope Church RC, and uh, hopefully you'll find us. Anyways, I hope this is a blessing and an encouragement to you. Peace. Hey, man, thank you, Shannon. Um, Story of Tabitha is a really good one, and it ties in well uh, with our passage today out of Acts chapter 7, um, where we see a guy that gives himself for others, reminiscent in a way that Jesus did. I want to talk a little bit this morning about a catalyst, right? A catalyst is an agent that provokes or speeds up significant change or action, right? And if you've been through science or chemistry especially we talk about a lot uh there are, are uh, you know you may know something of what a catalyst is so for instance iron is used in the production of ammonia you know the, the household cleaner um it iron increases the reaction between nitrogen and hydrogen which produces ammonia gas and then they capture that and are able to distill ammonia out of it in history there are catalysts, things that happen, things, events that take place that, that cause other things to happen or speed up processes. Uh, the one that I immediately thought of when I was thinking of this was the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, uh, with a catalyst for World War One, right? It kind of started the whole thing. In our life, we have different events that are catalysts, children, marriage, death of loved ones. Social events can be catalysts. COVID-19, even though it was a health event, it was kind of a social event too because it affected the whole world. The civil rights movement was a catalyst for change. The murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Philando Castile, school shootings like Sandy Hook or Uvalde or any of the other now, as of yesterday, 200 mass shootings that we've had in 2023. All these sorts of things are catalysts for large groups of people or even single individuals that help us to change our perception or our thinking about the way the world works. We suddenly see things with some clarity or we realize things that we didn't know about before. And catalysts are interesting because they can change things in a dramatic way pretty quickly. One moment the situation seems normal and then something happens that's unexpected and then everything is different because of that event. And lots of us have experienced these catalysts in our lives. I mentioned a couple already, graduation, marriage, kids, family deaths, friend deaths. Some are smaller, and they don't change us a whole lot, but others are much more impactful, and some of the change is for good, some of it is for worse, right? Like winning the lottery sounds like a pretty good catalyst for changing your life. Although there are lots of stories of people that win the lottery and squander it all and then are back to where they were or even worse, potentially. But winning the lottery sounds like a good catalyst. 
I would like the opportunity to uh, experience its effects in my own life. I'd have to buy a ticket first, I guess. Um, versus a cancer diagnosis or a tragedy that happens in your life. That could be a catalyst that can change your life for the worse, potentially. Now, I don't believe that God causes bad things to happen, but I do know that He is present in the middle of them. He sees us through them. We'll talk about that. He's our comfort and our God. And when we are asking, why has something horrible happened? Why has this catalyst changed my life now? He's there comforting us and guiding us, helping us to make changes in our own lives as needed in response. And many times when I'm looking at my life, and I'm sure that you may too, we can look back after the event, after we've had some time to reflect, calm down, and we can often see God's hand at work guiding us, making provisions. In our passage today in Acts chapter 7 and 8, we are going to read about a senseless murder that took place and it changed the lives of many and was a major catalyst in the kingdom of God. And we're going to talk about how that catalyst and the effects that it, the, what it kind of started echoes through the, the centuries and affects us even today. Even today, God is still working in our situation and in our lives to help us make any changes that we might need in our minds or our actions, just like He was doing for the people back then. And so we're going to be reading Acts chapter 7, verses 55 through 60, and then uh, a few verses into chapter 8. So uh, here we go. Chapter, uh, verse 55, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he fell asleep. Verse eight, or chapter 8, verse 1. Saul agreed with putting him to death. And on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the Word. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Help us to absorb the truth that it contains and how we may need to respond in our lives through changing of our actions or our attitudes. Give us the grace and the mercy to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a little background, how did we get here, right? Well, read through the Gospels about the life of Jesus. He was born and He did good. And He taught people about the kingdom of God that was coming. He revealed Himself to be the Son of God, the way, the truth, and the life. And He said that no one comes to the Father except through Him. He went on and He uh, was crucified because He threatened the, the local power structure. And that crucifixion was all part of God's plan, right? Because through that, we have forgiveness of sins but he didn't stay dead he rose from the dead three days later 
He appeared to His disciples, and then He ascended back into heaven. Right? Then the disciples went on, and we read about them in the book of Acts. Luke and Acts, by the way, uh, originally was one book. Right? We've kind of divided them up. Um, they did sometime way back when, but originally when it was written, we could, you could think of it as Acts is just kind of the second half of Luke's book. Okay? So it just kind of continues. You can just read it, flow right along into it. So in the book of Acts, we see the disciples at Pentecost. They were all gathered in one room together. The Holy Spirit fell on them. They were talking in other languages that other people could understand. Um, everyone, no matter what their language, could understand what they were saying. They were speaking the gospel, telling people about Jesus. And many people believe. There are a couple times in the book of Acts where it talks about, uh, it, it'll give numbers, right? And it'll say about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. About 5,000 were added to their numbers that day. The church began to grow. The church ordained its first deacons that were meant to serve the widows uh, of the group who were missing out on some of the benefits, right? They weren't receiving as much um, food rations as some of the other widows, right? And so the apostle said, we have to pick some guys to oversee this, to make sure that all these things happen, to serve this local body of believers. And Stephen was among those seven men. And Stephen was described as being full of grace and power. He performed wonders and signs among the people. And some opposition rose up against him among some people in the synagogue, the local Jewish uh, temple. And those men persuaded some people to accuse Stephen of blasphemy. And blasphemy was a charge punishable by death. It was the same charge that they brought against Jesus. They accused him of saying that Jesus would destroy the temple. But what Jesus was, and Jesus did say that, but what he was actually talking about was his body. He said, if you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it again. He was talking about his own death, his own resurrection. <coughs> Excuse me. And Stephen is put on trial by these Jewish officials. He appeared before them, and as part of his defense to show that he was one of them, he recited basically the whole story of Israel. He started with Abraham, then went on to Isaac and Jacob, Joseph, recounted how the Jews were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. He talked about Moses and Aaron and the exodus out of Egypt into the promised land and how his ancestors settled in the promised land in Canaan. He talked about Israel's rebellion against God, how they turned to worship other gods and prophets. God rose up prophets among them to try to bring them back. Stephen points out that God always intended His dwelling to be with His people and that the Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of that promise for those people who believe in Jesus. He was trying to bring everyone along and bridge the gap between what they had been taught and what they were seeing now. And because they didn't believe, Stephen calls them stiff-necked. You ever know anybody that was stiff-necked, stubborn, I'm not looking at anybody right now. Anyone who just would not go along, even though you lay out the points before them, it's convincing, it's true, they see the truth, but they just will not back down. So he calls them that. He says, you are stiff-necked people. And in verse 55, we see that 
They did not like that at all. Not even a little bit. They were already upset at Stephen, and that was kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back, right? It says that they became enraged, and they gnashed their teeth at him, right? They gritted their teeth, they clenched their jaw. And then Stephen added even more fuel to the fire when they became enraged against him. He looked to heaven and he said, he had a vision. He said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God, a place of honor and status. This man that they had killed, who now Stephen was following and proclaiming was, was the Messiah, he now placed in uh, adjacent to God, right? He was equating him with God. And they absolutely did not like that because Stephen was doubling down on Jesus' divinity. And so they rushed at Stephen. They ran out of, they ran at him and they drug him out of the city and they stoned him. And stoning is a brutal death, needless to say, being hit over and over again with large rocks until the person dies. And as that's happening, Stephen echoes the words of Jesus from the cross. Father, don't hold this against them. And in lots of ways, Jesus, Stephen's death was kind of reminiscent of Jesus' death. And the, kind of some of the way that things happened, he was accused of a similar thing. Um, not to say that Jesus, you know, or that Stephen was Jesus, of course, but it was just, it's just interesting to see how things are kind of similar, right? He even says, uh, he gave up his spirit and said, you know, I commit my spirit to you or something like that. I, I got it wrong, but. You can go back and look at it and look at it. And he says something very similar to what Jesus said. And he's doing exactly what Jesus has commanded him and us to do. To love our enemies. To pray for them. Right? Stephen is praying for his enemies in the moment that they are attacking him. And we see that the murderers laid their coats at the feet of a man named Saul who watched over their clothes in approval of what they were doing. Saul was kind of a leader, and we'll talk about this in a little bit. He was kind of a leader in the local synagogue. and He actually became the one to kind of head up the persecution. And some men buried Stephen and lamented over his death, which in the Mosaic Law was actually not allowed. If someone had done something that was worthy of being stoned to death, you were not to honor them by burying them, by taking care of their body. That's why they drug him out of the city so they could just leave him there and let nature take its course. But some good men, some believers, lamented his death because his death was unjust. Stephen became the first Christian martyr. Martyr is just someone that dies for their faith, that is killed for their faith. And he became a catalyst for the church in a similar way to Jesus, like I talked about. Because after Stephen's death, extreme persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and the church fled the city, starting the worldwide spread of the gospel. This was a horrible incident. An innocent man lost his life because he believed differently than those who were in power. And history has repeated this scene in various ways over and over and over again. Whenever truth is spoken to power, people get upset. 
And they may not always act in a violent manner, but there's often punishment and pushback to the ones who would speak up. Uh, we saw it fairly recently in the state of Tennessee in their legislature. There were two, uh, well, three senators. I may be saying senators or legislatures, representatives. I always get those all mixed up because I know some are senators, some are representatives. Either way, there were two uh, or three um, representatives that spoke out. Uh, they were speaking out against gun violence and, and advocating for stricter gun laws. And they were basically censured. They were kicked out of the of the body. Well, the, the two uh, black males were. The, the white female was not. And they were basically kicked out and said, you were unelected. They spoke truth to power. Thankfully, they were immediately almost re-elected by the councils of their uh, of the, the people they represented. But there's often punishment or pushback for speaking up. And it's often in those moments that these catalysts happen that affects a large community. Because of Stephen's death, the Gospel reached Samaria, fulfilling part of Jesus' proclamation that the disciples would be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This was part of the ripples in a spiritual pond emanating out so that the whole world could know of Christ's love. As you read on in Acts chapter 8 and 9 following, we see uh, Philip, who was a, 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 a disciple, went out and actually came across an Ethiopian eunuch and, pro and proclaimed the gospel to him, and he was baptized. He received Christ. And this is a picture of the radical inclusivity that should be a marker for the church because eunuchs were a sexual minority. They were barred from inclusion in the Jewish community because they were considered unwhole and they were unable to fit neatly into a category of whether or not they could procreate. And yet Philip was directed by an angel of the Lord to go to that person and baptize him even though his sexuality barred him from inclusion. Now, there have been many catalysts in my life that are also true of some of you. Marriage, children, graduation. I've graduated from high school and uh, uh, NC State. And then I have, I have two different master's degrees for you know, various things. Uh, those, those have all been big moments in my life, right? Having children and many more of those. Uh, and those were all great moments, right? Wonderful, joyful times. And there have been many more moments in my life that are marked by tragedy, by sorrow, the death of a loved one. In 2020, the murder of George Floyd and the horrible way that I believe the white church handled the response to that caused me to really question my ideas and my beliefs or my knowledge about systemic racism, about police brutality, Christian nationalism, and a host of other related issues. Now I began deconstructing what I think of as deconstructing my faith several years ago. I don't necessarily think of it as deconstruction because that just means a lot of people equate deconstruction with demolition. No, I think of it as reorganizing, reprioritizing certain ideas over others rather than falling away from Christ as many will warn that you do when you start asking questions. But rather than questioning and asking and studying and trying to reprioritize and reorganize, rather than that taking me away from Christ, it only drew me closer to Him. 
I love Him even more than I did several years ago when I started. It has made me realize how much more compassionate, how much more empathetic He is to others and to me. It was a catalyst for my political views. And I'm still not even sure where I fit in sometimes. I'm not as right as I used to be. I'm not as left as I could be. I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't even know exactly where I am. But He's he's changed my views on lots of things. And God uses these difficult moments in our lives to guide us and to change us to be more like Him. That is the goal. To become more and more like God. And He doesn't do this in a harsh way. No, like the good shepherd that we talked about last week. As we go, He's leading us by the still waters, helping us lie down in green pastures, dwelling more closely with Him, showing us a better way that loves our enemies, that loves those who we disagree with because they also are created in His image just like us and He loves them fiercely. No more, no less. And Stephen's murder was a catalyst for all of that. It was a catalyst even for our own inclusion, everyone sitting in here today, into the church because it caused the gospel to spread to the Gentile nation, nations and beyond. Saul, who was the one who presided over Philip's death, continued persecution against the church. And through a, an encounter with Jesus that was a catalyst in his own life, he became a fierce missionary to those outside of his Jewish culture for Jesus. And we can trace it all the way back to this event. This catalyst in his life as he stood in approval of the murder. He was protecting the clothes of the men who were involved. It led him to cause violent persecution against the church, not, in, not just in Jerusalem, but in other cities like Damascus. And it was on the way to Damascus that he met Jesus in another huge catalyst in his life. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9 if you want. And after that happened, Paul went from hunting down followers of Jesus to calling people to become followers of Jesus. He went from, a, from radical exclusion to radical inclusion. He goes on to say in Galatians that there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, but everyone is loved by Christ. And he became a witness to the ends of the earth. And so it continues. This catalyst spurred a motion or spurred a movement that continued throughout history all the way down until today, where we gather each week, and many other churches in our area and in the world gather and read about and worship the one who gave his life to us. And the prayer is that it will continue on and through our life, even through the good through the good times and even through the bad times. Even when I'm mimicking Jesus in those moments where I don't do so well. The prayer is that that catalyst continues to evoke change, even if it's slow, even if it seems like it'll never be finally fulfilled. Until Christ returns so that many, many more will hear the gospel and embrace the great love of Jesus. And that's one of the greatest catalysts that any of us can ever experience is knowing about learning, encountering His love. Realizing what He endured on the cross for our sins so that we could have life.
And now, the call is on us to become part of the movement. Those who have professed faith in Christ to spread His love, to really love other people, not just with words, but with actions. To care for the widow, the orphan, the poor, the refugee with our prayers, with our money, with our votes. As Stephen was being stoned, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And commentator F.F. Bruce in his book on Acts says that it's a picture of Jesus standing beside those who speak on His behalf. Anytime that we do something that mirrors His love, even if it's difficult, even if there are other people who are saying you shouldn't do that, even if those other people also claim to be followers of Jesus, and they're saying you shouldn't do that, that's wrong, you're wrong. If we feel like we're doing the right thing, and we believe we're doing the right thing, Jesus is standing with us. He is supporting us giving us the courage to do what He's called us to do. When we wrestle with our spiritual convictions and realize that maybe we don't agree with some doctrine or dogma that we have been taught, He's there. He's supporting us. And this morning, whatever you've got going on in your life, Jesus is standing with you, ready to support you, to comfort you, to bring peace into your situation. He might ask you to make a change, it might be difficult. It probably will be difficult. But He promises to be there with you in the middle of it. Supporting you and standing with you. Bringing you peace. Maybe you realize that you need His forgiveness. You've never trusted in Him before. Or maybe you need help giving forgiveness to someone else. Whatever that need is, He's able to meet it. And you can bring it to Him today. Maybe this moment today would be a catalyst in your spiritual journey as you look forward, or as you look, as you go forward and you look back. I'd love to pray with you in the back, of course, or you can pray to God right where you are uh, during our closing song. Whatever God's asking you to do today, do it knowing that He will meet you there. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. Thank you for um, Stephen's faithfulness and how we can read about it and um, be strengthened in our own faith. I pray you just use uh, what we've done here today uh, through this week and on through the rest of this year to um, help us to come to know your love better. And not just to know it, but to act it out, to put it into action, fulfilling the Great Commission, fulfilling the greatest commandment, loving you and loving others as we love ourselves. Thank you so much for everything you've done and for everything you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.